Hello. Last uh, semester, we did um, sign up for stuff, and it was uh, it was just mayhem. And so uh, Emily is much better at that stuff than I am, and so she took over. So good luck to me. <laughs> um, all right. Basically, the different categories that we have needs in would be uh, kitchen prep Sunday mornings f- with Char, and that would continue into uh, helping serve the meal after service is over as well, so that you know what that category involves. Um, <clears throat> children's ministry, always looking for volunteers. Uh, we will be needing uh, greeters as well. Uh, kitchen cleanup after the meals on Sundays. Uh, cleaning the bathrooms and the sanctuary once a week and cleaning the coffee house once a week, and also desserts, (laughs) which most of you have heard from me already on that. But um, what I've done is I've created a um, just a calendar, and it's a Google calendar, so that I can keep track of who's volunteering, and that way we don't have 10 people doing uh, helping Char one week and no one the next week, which is what we've had. So... um, If you want to write down my contact information right now, that would be best. Uh, The email account is watersedgeslm at gmail. And then my cell phone number is 906-458-9844. I need to get everybody's contact information in the next 24 hours so that I can get everybody signed up and on the calendar so that we can kind of get this squared away as soon as possible so that way everyone knows what they've signed up for and they're not overcommitted and they can kind of figure that stuff out early in the semester. So that's the goal. Um, If you want to see me after this, that's fine. I want to get this squared away quickly. So... That way everyone knows what they're doing, what they're signed up for. I can go over details of each of the different categories. Pretty painless. So that's what I've got. Thanks. Great. Last uh, semester, Char was usually in the kitchen at 7 a.m. in there till 3 or 2 by herself. So this semester, if we don't have help in the kitchen, she threatened to take out kneecaps um, I said, <laughs> I said fingers or toes. She said kneecaps. Um, but it, that'd be great, Emily. Thanks for doing that. <clears throat> Welcome back, um, leaders. At the end, um, I know that uh, you guys are all going to meet guys and, and gals, and I need ten minutes with the leaders as a group before you scatter into. Um, into the, the two groups, but I, just, I need you for about 10 minutes to go over uh, something that we're going to implement for our leaders this semester. All right. Well, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get going again. Father, thank you for uh, rest. Thank you for breaks, for Sabbath rest, and thank you that um, you require us to rest with you, uh, that we might be refreshed, rejuvenated, Um, So, Father, I ask that as we go into a new semester, that it be done so with vision, with clarity, with purpose, and with intent. Um, So, we, we, Lord, above all else, we want you in our midst, and uh, we ask you to come and, and mark us again this evening. Amen. Amen. Is someone cooking fish? Do you smell fish? Does anyone else smell? Fi- really? You do? Dude. It smells like a fish market up here. I feel like I'm... <clears throat> wow. That's intense. <laughs> Something's fishy. Okay. Wow. Good start. Good start. So I want to share, last semester we spent a lot of time looking at different, uh, different issues. What does the scripture say about this? What is the kingdom perspective on this? 
And um, going into the semester, I want to make a little bit of an adjustment because I feel like the Lord has kind of taken us for a little bit of a turn uh, in the last few weeks, and so I want to share a little bit about that. I kind of want to set a bit of a course, and I also want to um, kind of remind us as a group what we're really about and how we need to be diligent about seeing that come to pass. So the easiest way I can say this is that we as a church believe that we're pressing again. And what I mean by that, how many of you guys were here Sunday? A pretty good number, okay. Um, Two and three weeks ago, we had, there had been just a kind of an aching um, and a concern for some that we had kind of uh, just started to kind of cruise. Um, There's a danger about becoming a healthy community. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But the danger is that we stop pressing because it's really good. And so we stop leaning for more. And there, for about two weeks, I had three or four different people come up to me and say, man, I'm really concerned that, like, we're just starting to go through the motions, that, you know, it's great, everyone loves each other, but we're not growing, we're not gaining, the presence of God is not tangibly present with us. So this happened a couple of weeks in a row, and I had an experience just personally with the Lord, and so on Sunday, all three of us shared about, about hunger, and then Ryan came up at the end and, and just was praying, God, we, we want more of you. And Pastor came over right after that and he said, do you feel like we should keep pressing or, or call it for today? And I said, call it. I said, because if we just press and press and something happens today, we'll all leave and we won't press again until Sunday. And he said, that's exactly what I had a feeling about as well. I just wanted to confirm it. And so he came up and he said, we're done for today. And the reason that we felt like we're done for Sunday was we want to keep pressing Sunday evening, Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday morning. Because if you press and something happens, there's a it's really easy to slide into, well, I'll start pressing again Sunday when I get here at 10 a.m., 10.20 at Water's Edge. Um, But we feel as a church like God is he's causing us, he's provoking us to press again. Um, hunger. I had someone come up to me on Sunday crying. They'd had a dream where this person and myself were in a room, a, a room together. It was dark and we had been meeting together to pray and ask God to fulfill his word to us about what he said would happen at this church and in our community. And in this dream, we'd been meeting together, and one day we're in this room, and suddenly I looked up, and we knew it was upon us. And so he said, I just had a a tremendous impression that it's time for us to start meeting and pressing again together. And so we talked, and I, I said, well, we're both very busy. There's a lot of stuff going on in life, but... We have to make a sacrifice. So what am I going to sacrifice? Do I need to get up at 4.30 to meet with you for an hour so we can pray together? Uh, what, What do I need to sacrifice to make this happen? Because it seems evident that God's calling us into a time where we press again and we lean again. So what do I mean by pressing? Does anybody know what I mean by pressing? Pressing in a... Stereotypical church sense can look a lot like um, you're, you're just doing the things that you did the last time God showed up. That's not what I'm talking about. It's really easy in a spirit-filled church just to start to do the same things that you did when God showed up five years ago. And you start to pray the same prayers or you, you start to play the same kind of music or do the same stuff. That's not pressing. Pressing is a heart position out of a group as a whole where you begin to crave, to desire, and to lean toward God saying, we have to have more of your presence and your kingdom 
manifest in our midst. That's what pressing is. That's what leaning is. You might call it desperation. You might call it hunger. I believe, my opinion, is that hunger may be the most valuable gift in the church today. And I've been to one worship service in my life where anyone ever gave an altar call for people to come forward and receive a gift of hunger. I've been to dozens where they wanted people to get a gift of healing, a gift of deliverance, a gift of evangelism, and only one where they asked, come forward if you want to ask God for a gift of hunger. Why is that so concerning to me? Because all those other gifts, they draw attention to individuals, but they don't keep people on track for 60 years so that they're burning brighter 60 years from now than they were when they were in their 20s. That's why I think hunger is the most important gift in the church today. It's the gift that keeps you burning brightly and hot while you're learning to use all the other gifts. So, as a church, we believe that we're pressing again. We're leaning again. We're going to sacrifice outside of the church activities to get together as individuals and say, God, we're going to press you to give to us what you said you'd give to us years ago that hasn't come to pass yet. And I tell you guys this because you, you have a major impact on how the church goes as a whole. This group is it's the biggest group within the church. It's the biggest subset within the church. And so I'm telling you this because I'm asking you to, to join with this leaning, and I'm hoping that it's connecting with something that's been burning in your heart. You guys get to participate in the pressing this time around. Last time around, it was a small group of people, a very small group of people. as a handful who were pressing together, and we were meeting together in a very small room because there weren't very many of us. And we pressed and we pressed and we cried out and we, we forced ourselves to cry out even at times where we didn't feel like it. Because we knew that God had more than what we were experiencing. That's the cry of the heart of the church right now. The realities of the kingdom of God that we're not experiencing here right now. A couple of weeks ago, a woman in her 40s, with three teenage sons, died of cancer. That's not the kingdom. There's no cancer in the kingdom. So there's more. And so we as a group are pressing again. We're leaning again. And the last time where it was a handful and we pressed, what we got was pretty extraordinary, if, if truth be told. It was very extraordinary. What we got to be a part of an experience when God broke in was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. It still is. And so now the group is bigger, and you're getting the opportunity to press again, but for the first time for many of you, corporately, as a group saying, God, we have to have more of your presence personally and more of your kingdom made manifest in our group. It's got to happen. I'm not going to settle for less. That's the cry of the heart that we believe God's taking us into at the beginning of this year. It's not going to be easy. It was brutal um, leading up to the last round. It's exhausting. You make sacrifices of things you'd rather be doing to spend the time pressing in to the face of God. But, boy, is it regretful for anyone who wasn't in the room when he comes. And that's absolute fact. I know friends that were not in the room when God stepped in that, that could have been. And it was, it, was a, it was a grievous time for them, a regretful time for them. So anyway, we believe as a group that that's where we're at right now with God. That he's saying, yeah, come and get me. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out, right? 
So his glory is hiding something for us, and our glory is in the seeking of it out. It's so that we can have it. So he's hidden a treasure for us, and it's our time to press together. So I think, looking forward without knowing with absolute certainty, that we're going to spend less time looking at some of the things and the topics that we did last semester and more time pressing in for the greater things that we believe God has for us. Okay, so I just kind of blew the whole night without even touching my notes, but let me get back for a second. I can't start by saying this anymore, but that's what's in my notes, so I'm just going to say it. Let me start by saying that uh, young adults are in maybe the most difficult, but at least a very difficult, dangerous, important, invaluable season of life. And I chose those words very intentionally. Difficult, dangerous, important, and valuable season of life. Obviously, every season that you're in is important, right? Your faithfulness in that season, right, produces fruit, gets you into the next. But I really believe that for young adults, this is an extraordinarily difficult season of life. Why? Well, first of all, you're becoming established, right? You're trying to leave a past behind for some. Some, you don't have a past, so that's glorious. Um, but you're also trying to find answers for your future. Most of you, maybe, maybe that's none of you guys, but at least I'll give you my own experience. You know, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to get rid of all the things that I wish I hadn't done. And now I'm trying to figure out what are the things that God wants to do with me going forward. At the same time, I'm trying to figure out who am I? What is my life about? I don't know what I am. I'm trying to identify myself by all these cultural terms. Am I a teacher? Am I an educator? Am I a business person? Am I a principal? What am I? And then you're trying to mix that with, wait, I'm supposed to just be a son, even though I might do a variety of different things. And so you're wrestling through the questions of who in the world did God make in me? And what in the world did he make me for? Then you add to that, the questions that you're trying to find answers to, am I supposed to get married or not? Do I want to get married or not? To whom shall I marry? That's a, you know, we like that question, right? What am I supposed to do for a career? Am I supposed to have a career? I don't know. I'd rather not have to work a day in my life. If I get married, should I have kids? How many? Do I want kids? Probably not. Am I called to ministry? These are questions that most of us are asking at this stage of life. All the while, you're probably trying to hold down a job and go to school. Or one or the other. Then, of course, you, get, you graduate and you start to head toward a career. Maybe you get married. Maybe you do both. You begin having children. You begin, maybe you buy a home And through this whole period of your life, you are making decisions on a daily basis that will affect the next 60 years of your life and even your eternity. I think that warrants saying that this is a very difficult, dangerous, important, and valuable season of life. I don't say that to make excuses for you or me, um, but... But just to make, make it clear that we understand what you're going through, and it, it's very difficult. No one said it was easy. So when it's hard, it's okay to acknowledge that it's hard. It's okay to weep when you don't know what the right decision is. It's okay to feel stressed out when you're trying to find answers that will affect the next 60 years of your life. That's appropriate. You should feel the weight of the decisions that you're making, because if you're just making flippant decisions over things that will affect 60 years to eternity, well, that's silliness. So you're setting a very important course during these years, and it's appropriately difficult and weighty time. So while you're trying to answer all these questions and you're trying to make decisions that will guide the next 60 years of your life, There's something that must happen first. It must be a primary foundation upon which all the other decisions are born out of. 
If you set a course for your life that is fully pleasing to the Lord and you build everything else around it, you could be successful in God's eyes. And of course, those are the only eyes that matter. It's a hard time, though, because we're seeking to be approved of by our peers during this season, and yet God's causing us to make decisions that are approved of sometimes only in his eyes. So it's challenging. Let's see if i got time to talk about Noah. I think so. So I'll talk just for a second about Noah. Because Noah is amazing to me. Um, you know, we know he built the boat and, uh, he was a zookeeper, but, um, he's, he's so fascinating to me because they, historians, they vary in time frame from 40 to 120 years to build the boat. Is anyone else just mind blown by this? The thought of this 40 to 120 years. Now we say 40 to 120 years, but for some of you, that's, that's twice as long as you've been alive for 40 years. And 120 is eons. Decades it took him to build a ship, a boat. Now, what's so astounding to me about Noah is he has one encounter with God where God tells him, this is what you're going to do. And then he gets, he's inspired. Yeah, I mean, he just had a crazy encounter with God. You're going to build this ship. And he gets traction right away. He starts on a project. Now, it's never rained before. So there's never been a need for a boat ever in history. You're creating the first boat that's ever been for something that's never happened. This is astounding. I mean, put this in your own context today where you feel like God speaks to you to do something that you don't know for sure if it's going to happen. Hey, buddy, I want you to build a crib because next year at this time, you're going to have a child in that crib. God, I'm not even married. Build the crib. This is, this is Noah's experience. Noah, build this giant ship because at some point it's going to rain. We'll see you right before the storm starts. And then Noah gets traction, gains momentum, and then stays focused. That's what's so amazing to me. You have to remember that from, if it's 40 or 120 years, it wasn't sprinkling on and off through this time to remind Noah, oh my goodness, I better get back to work. He wasn't getting these little reminders that, oh crap, I haven't done anything in Two decades, I better get going again. Get the gopher wood. He had to stay focused in spite of circumstance, decade after decade after decade. That is astounding to me. That is so admirable to me. Because typically what happens, at least in my experience, is inspiration comes and we start and we're passionate and we're zealous and it lasts two weeks until we forget how excited we were, or what we thought was going to happen hasn't, we've not really moved in that direction. And so it's like, well, I'm going to take a couple days off. And pretty soon it's been a week, and then it's a month, and then someone's had to remind you, hey, how's your project going? I, it's going good, I just got to get some materials, gopher wood, I just got to get some gopher wood. And we start to lose momentum. Or maybe we get inspired and we never gain traction. I don't know where it comes apart for most of us. All I know is that typically it comes apart. We get inspired. We get some traction. We get some momentum. But then we start to lose focus. We, we start to spread ourselves too thin. We forget these are the things that I'm supposed to be about. And stay on track that way. Moses' life is so incredible to me because over 12 decades, he stays inspired. He keeps his momentum in spite of surroundings and in spite of opposition from the people that he knew. And he stays focused until it's complete. And he ends up finishing the ark. The animals come. 
God spares us through him. We're here because of our great, 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 great granddaddy was able to keep focus. So it's in our bloodline. Good news for those of us that aren't too good with this. So this, this actually, there's a reason that I'm telling you about Noah somewhere along here. So it's really important if we're saying today or Sunday that we believe God's calling us into a time of hunger. Sunday at 11.35 in the morning, if we'd, have made a, if we'd have asked the question, how many of you feel like God's calling us to press for more, 100% of the hands in the room would have gone up. And if we'd have said, how many of you guys think that we need to, get, we need to start praying together and we need to meet together once a week and pray together and cry out for more, 100% of the hands in the room are up because everyone's inspired. And we leave Sunday, and there's a couple good football games on, and we're hanging out with our buddies, and we're having dinner, and we start to get comfortable, and we start to forget what hunger feels like burning in our chest. And by Sunday evening, we've pretty well forgotten what happened Sunday at 1130 And so when we wake up Monday morning, we wake up a little later than normal. We may or may not get back into the Word because we were inspired, but we never got traction. And so I'm bringing it back again to say we can't just get inspired about what God's doing for a moment and not get traction. We have to take action. Traction comes from taking action in a new direction. We, it, it's, it's insufferable to hear the word and not do it. It's the same as sin. So when we hear this is what we've got to do, we can't just do it in that moment and then forget it. It requires action in a new direction. And once we have action, it takes momentum, and momentum has to be built and developed. So we can't just say, yeah, I want to meet together once a week and pray and then never follow through and show up. It requires follow through. I've got to get together and meet with you Saturday morning at 5 o'clock a.m. instead of hugging my pillow. I've got to get up. I've got to get there. I've got to stay there, and I've got to keep it going and gain momentum. I've got to follow through, and I have to keep following through even when I don't want to. A life like Noah's is brutal for the flesh, for our own comforts. It, it really is. It just kills, kills everything about it, but it makes it very difficult too. The first thing that a life like this requires is hunger. It requires a foundation of hunger. And I told the story on Sunday, but it so burns in me about people in their 20s who right now are burning. You're burning It's the best place you can be. You want nothing more than you want the presence of God. Hunger, in asking God for a gift of hunger, will have you burning more so in 20 years than you do today, even though you don't believe it's possible. You might weep right now, longing for the presence of God, but in 20 years, you'll weep even greater, eager for the presence of God, because hunger develops into maturity that voluntarily seeks after his face and doesn't just do it out of desperation. Hunger is a foundation that will keep us pressing for more of God and more of his kingdom until he comes back. Now the biblical text for this is obviously you have Matthew 6.33, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things to be added to you as well, but also in the Lord's Prayer what Jesus says, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is coming a culmination, yeah? When Jesus comes back, where the fullness of God's kingdom will be present on the earth. In the garden, he set it up. That's where it started. But what we realize is that in the garden, the world was initially created for the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes back, the world will once again host the kingdom of God. The world was created to host the presence of God and the kingdom of God and manifest it throughout everything. 
All of creation is intended to manifest the kingdom of God. I was talking with my brother about this today. He totally distracted me, and there's no way I'm getting through my notes tonight. Um, But he starts texting me here about half an hour ago about um, the fig tree. You ever wonder why Jesus cursed the fig tree? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't like talking about it because I'm not satisfied with my answers. So anyway, the fig tree, if you remember, um, was not in season. Right? In the scriptures, it says it wasn't in season for producing figs. Yet Jesus wants a fig from it because he doesn't get one. He curses it. The thing withers up and never produces figs again. And my brother's like, it's not fig season. How can he expect figs off a tree that isn't in season to produce figs? Well, in the kingdom of God, trees produce fruit in every season. And we, as children of God, should produce fruit in every season. Even desert seasons or barren seasons, we produce fruit. But what it's saying is that the very creation is intended to produce fruit all year round. And it doesn't now. So there's more for creation even in the kingdom of God. The creation is groaning. Come on. I don't know. I get excited about that. If it's this beautiful in Marquette now, come on. What is it going to be when the kingdom of God is made manifest here? It's probably not going to have this much snow. Maybe snow. Maybe it's not. 25 below in snow. Micah, we're not going to... All right, forget it. I was just glad that Micah had shoes on last week when it was 20 below. So these things that aren't yet are the things that we're asking God to bring now before it's fulfilled, before he comes back and satisfies all of the kingdom, there's more available to be had for us than what we have now. How do I know that? Well, in the book of Acts, they had more than what we have now. Right? I mean, you know, we've seen healing happen, but like when I walk down Washington, everybody in the window at Baby Cakes and Aubrey's aren't getting healed yet. Right? So they had more 2,000 years ago than what we had today. But we're supposed to be moving toward an ever-increasing kingdom. That's what the scripture says, is it ever-increasing. So there's more for us in our inheritance as normal kids in God's kingdom than what we have today. This is where hunger is born. It's born out of a holy dissatisfaction. God, I'm not okay with what I have. I love what I have. Thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for my salvation, and the freedom that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But I have to have more because your kingdom is not fully evident on the earth yet. This is what keeps us longing, groaning, and crying out for his return. Because no matter how much we have, there's always more until he comes back. And that's why at the end, the bride and the spirit say, come. The spirit has been crying out and groaning They need more. And now it's our turn to join with him and say, we want more. I want more for me, God. I want more for me. I want to walk around knowing that my father, feeling that my father is with me, feeling it, his pleasure, his enjoyment. The amount that it's grown for me in the last number of years is incredible. The feeling of being able to walk knowing he's there. Not questioning whether or not God's with me. But being able to feel it much of the time. There's more of that. What does that live like for an individual? What about corporately? I don't like having 40-year-old ladies die of, of a curable disease. That shouldn't be okay with us. Death is not normal. It was never meant to be. 
death will never be normal. It should never be normal. I agree. Let me try to get back to the notes here. Blessed are the hungry, for they will be satisfied. It is in the hungering that our glory lies. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. It's our glory to hunger. And blessed are the hungry, for they will be satisfied. That's echoed in Hebrews 11. I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. If you will diligently seek him, you will be rewarded is a, is a guarantee. And for those that do not diligently seek, you should not expect the same reward as those who do. So, questions arise. What, what is the hunger of my life? Comfort, wealth, fame, ministry, recognition? I ask those because those are ones that have been mine, my pursuits. <clears throat> or is it the presence of God and the manifestation of his kingdom? What do I crave? What do I go to bed thinking about, asking about, hoping for, longing for? Is it so that someday my name will be across the bottom of a TV screen? Having the Oval Office? Or is it, I just want my Father beside me, with me. I just want God. It sounds so crazy unless you've, you've had him. So I, when I ask these questions, I'm not, the goal isn't to bring shame. The goal is to say, I need to refocus. I've gotten distracted. Distraction is really easy for us. Yeah? It's easy to get distracted. In this season of life, it's really easy to become complacent, satisfied with the portion that we have, and cease craving an increased measure of the presence of God. As we start to settle into the routines of life, and we have our questions answered about being married and having kids and getting a job and, and coming to a place where you've, you've actually started to generate uh, a paycheck so you're not wondering if you're going to pay the bills. It's really easy to settle into, this is good enough. I'm comfortable now, so I can stop longing. I can stop pressing. I can stop leaning and craving for more. And it's really easy to slip into survival mode for any of you that have children. Um, it's really easy to slip into survival mode where all you're thinking about is getting a good night's sleep or keeping your head above water because your house hasn't been cleaned in three weeks. Um, you, you slip into survival mode, and either way, if it's complacency or survival mode, it's becoming insulated. That's where the danger lies. Insulated is when you're only aware of that which directly affects you. And be it good or bad, an insulated view of what's happening around you is where hunger dries up. We've got to maintain sight on the bigger picture that the world was made for the kingdom of God. I have this in my notes, and it's totally random, but Jesus is the solution. He is the resolution. And last night I talked about Job. And when you look at Job's experience in that book, and you remember what was going on in his life and how everything's coming apart and everything's being lost, his family, his health, his wealth... Wealth, his, everything that he had was being taken away from him. He sought his friends, and do you remember what they said? Their answers were so theologically sound. It was incredible. Their answers were theologically correct. And their theologically correct answers only produced more questions for Job. Job didn't need theological answers. 
the resolution to all Job's asking was one encounter with God. The solution, the resolution, the end of the asking came when Job saw God's face. My ear has heard, but now my eyes have seen. It's an encounter with God that is the resolution that we need in every other person on the face of the earth needs. That's the end of the asking. Because in that, the awareness of Psalm 16 comes about. Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. In you, encounter. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. When I get distracted, all comes apart. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god or empty cisterns, their sorrows will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He's talking about us who are so easily distracted from the pursuit of God. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot, my inheritance. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. If you're in survival mode, it's not by doing more that your security and your comfort will be found. If you're in survival mode, it's in an encounter with God. Where he is your right hand and your strength. Where you will be renewed. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let my, your Holy One see corruption. This is the part I love. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One of the most prosperous kings who's ever lived. If you read of the wealth that David accumulated, enormous, billions and billions. Billions that he donated just for the construction of the temple. This is a guy who lived with every creature comfort of that age. Didn't have iPhone 5S, but, you know, probably close. He had everything that could be amassed by human. And his declaration was, it is in your presence where there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One encounter with God is the best experience you will ever have in this life. Without question. But it doesn't have to end at one. If you've had one and it's been five years, do you remember it? And what longing does it bring to your heart? But his desire is that we walk in that encounter on a daily basis. And if we're not, we have more to hunger for. More to ask, God, i got to have more of you. What I've got isn't enough. There are two, as I see it, great dangers for us in this phase of life. One is settling for less than God desired to give you of himself. That's so scary to me, guys, for us, because this is such a great group of people. There's so much health here, and and there are great friendships and relationships. And there is a great concern for me that that will become good enough for us. Good enough is the biggest enemy of great, as they say in sports. The moment we stop pressing toward more is the moment we stop growing in God, and the moment that we start to plateau, and it's, it's a death knell. The other great danger is to do too little with what he's given us. There's a, there's a huge reaction for us as Christians coming out of a legalistic background that will cause us to flop to the other extreme 
which is called liberty by many, but is actually a life of inconsequence or a life that lacks focus. Liberty, in the biblical definition, like Isaiah 61, liberty actually means, in the original language, to lead someone into a place of fruitful work. Liberty is the gift of space for productive action. Liberty, as it was in Isaiah 61, you know what I'm talking about? He came to set the captives free. What that liberty was referring to was the year of Jubilee liberty, where you no longer had to stay a slave, but you were released from your debt and from your slavery. But it didn't end there. You were actually given back your family's inheritance and given what you needed to produce fruit in that land. So liberty isn't just the removal of debt or responsibility as a slave under law. Liberty is actually leading someone into a place of fruitful work. It's the gift of space for productive action. The, the danger for us is that we see liberty as, well, I'm not under law anymore, so I can just do whatever. That's not true liberty. That's not biblical liberty. So how do we avoid the pitfalls? <clears throat> this is where I so admire Noah's life, is the focus with which he lived. The focus, the pressing. That, that would be so hard for me to get up. You know how huge that boat was? And you're putting it together one, one strip at a time. I don't know if he's using like one by sixes or what. But, I mean, come on. On and on and on. Can you imagine getting up in the morning and just being like, oh, have I done anything this decade? I, you can't even... And yet... It wasn't, I'm going to try to get done by the end of the day. It's, I'm going to put on one board right now because it's what I have in my hand. And I've got what, what's needed to put on one. And then when I get that one on, I'm going to put on another. And when I get that done, I'm going to put on another because this is what I'm about. That's focus. That's how you maintain focus. You keep a 30,000 foot view, but you take it one step at a time. So, for what purpose are we here as a group? Our calling changes and grows. The dynamic, the diversity of the group changes and grows. But the hungering portion of who we are is something that will be with us throughout eternity. There will be no ministry in heaven. There's no healing, there's no evangelism, there's nothing so all the things that so many people base their lives around will not exist in eternity. What will exist in eternity? An ever-increasing revelation of who God is and a growing in the knowledge of him. That's what we're about forever. That's the calling that we base and build our lives around is that I'm going to seek out my beloved forever and ever and ever. And whatever I do while I'm doing that is fine and it's his call but my primary purpose of life is to seek the presence of God and grow in the knowledge of him. That's what we're about as individuals, and it's our identity as a group. This is the eternal calling of the church, which is why it's called a bride. More of you, God, and more of your kingdom. So, got to get practical. We must be intentional and disciplined. And this is where everyone's going to be just ticked. You probably have to schedule your life this way. Okay, now, just let's just, you know, we haven't been honest up till this point, probably. Um, but let's be honest, how many of you, without scheduling anything, voluntarily get up and seek after the Lord day in, day out, steady, seeking time, an hour? It's the primary thing for which you wake up in the morning, is to, to seek after God. I mean, the best of us have probably done it for a few months running or maybe even like peaked at 
you made it a year or so. But we're talking about decades. I think that requires a structure for ourselves, knowing our own weakness, that will require us to be there when we wouldn't show up voluntarily. Doing it this way develops voluntary love and affection for him, and it grows. But for even the best, if you don't have to punch the clock, there are days where you're going to sleep in. How many of us, if we had to go to work, and we didn't have to punch a clock, would be there early every day? Right? Some, but, you know, probably most of us, we'd... Uh, maybe they're close enough to nine, ten. So we've got to understand our own weaknesses and work within that framework, which means if this is truly our primary calling and purpose in life, I need to schedule this first and build everything else around it. How it's typically done for us is... I've got to schedule all this, and then if I get that done, then, God, I can have a few minutes with you, which will probably last a quarter of what it was supposed to because I'm so tired that I fell asleep. Realistically, uh, realistically. But this is actually what's called self-control, and that's a fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is the ability to make yourself do something, that's self-control. Self-control is not just keeping yourself from freaking out or not screaming at people. Self-control is causing yourself to do the right things. That's true self-control. So schedule it. I know we hate schedules, but we all have them on our phones. Schedule it. Forced discipline is self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it produces voluntary affection when it's matured. But it's got to be matured. While you're doing this, remind yourself repeatedly why you're doing what you're doing. You've got to be able to pull back to the 30,000-foot view and take a look and say, why am I getting up every day and pressing this way when it's mundane? Remember Daniel Lim talking. And he said, everyone has this ridiculous picture of the International House of Prayer. He's like, people think that it's just crazy there all the time. And that God's just there and he's dancing every day. And we all come in and it's woohoo. He said, you go 1,500 mundane, boring, monotonous days for every one where he actually shows up in power. But if you don't go those 1,500, you're not there on the one that he does. It's the discipline of a life, the diligent seeking that will have you there when the reward comes. But he does come when people aren't there, and we miss it. Remind yourself why you're doing what you're doing. Because otherwise, it just becomes a grind, and you forget that you're accomplishing something of a bigger purpose. So, now, the little things that you do when done for the sake of pleasing the Lord is gaining you eternal reward and is advancing the kingdom. This is what gets forgotten. We like, everybody like Romans 8.28, one of my favorite promises in the Bible? Yeah, God's using all things for the good of those who love him, right? We like that. I do. Everything that happens in my life is being used for his good, which means everything that's happening in my life has effect. It matters. It's eternal. And how I view what I do has eternal implications. Isaiah 2 and Deuteronomy 33 contrast the work of our hands by comparing the position of a heart. Isaiah 2 talks about those who work with their hands for their own gain and their own glory. And how it's all going to be taken away and punishment is going to come on them. In Deuteronomy 33 talks about the same work of the hands done to please the Lord. And because he's called you to it and you apply yourself wholeheartedly, 
that it will be eternally reward and you will reap incredible measures of bounty. The same actions are treated completely different based on the position of our heart. This is where rubber hits the road. When you go to your horrible job, do you view your horrible job as something that you're doing unto the Lord for eternity that has eternal implications? How our hearts are positioned toward the things that we do is whether they're either torn away and punishment comes or whether it's something that affects eternity. But God is orchestrating all these things for our good. Why wouldn't we treat them that way? Why wouldn't we apply ourselves in the same way? I remember going through a situation where um, I tried to buy a business and um, it totally did not work out. And this thing dragged on and on and on and on. And I think probably 18 months, we'd get right up to the table where we were going to make an agreement and the business owner would back away and it would come again. And, and all the meantime, I'm going through the budgets and the numbers, and I'm trying to figure out, is this going to work, and how are we going to run this, and over and over, and it never happened. And two years go by, and I end up leaving, did not buy the business, and end up in a different company. It was the training that I got during that period where nothing worked out, and it seemingly was a complete waste of 18 months, like I was in the midst of vain pursuits, that was actually what prepared me and educated me for what I do now. I had no clue and never would have had a clue had I not applied myself wholeheartedly, diligently to learning and educating myself. What am I looking at? What does this mean? What are the implications? And it was exactly what God had orchestrated in my life, pulled out from under me for my own training and equipping. He is working all things, all things. If it's dishwashing, diaper washing, hair coloring, whatever you're doing, He is working that for your good and using it to train you for what is next. Absolute reality. I'd also say, uh, quote Martin Luther. You guys remember him? Um, Never mind. A Christian shoemaker doesn't do his faithful duty by hanging little crosses on his shoes. A Christian shoemaker does his duty by making beautiful Shoes. What we do and how we do it is the reflection on how we expand the kingdom. So our development as individuals should be more than spiritual and more than relational. We have to, we have to do those and continue to develop a skill set to contribute to the kingdom of God. Because we will do work in heaven. You know, they did work in the garden, so we will work in heaven. It's a part of what we were made for is work. So while we should be spiritual and relationally able, we also must develop the work of our hands. So what are you training yourself toward? Okay, so what did we cover? One, hunger, foundational. If, if we don't have hunger, it's okay. Because... As is salvation, hunger is a gift given by grace. So if you lack hunger, and when I talk about hunger, you're like, that dude is whacked. True. But ask God for hunger. Ask him, I don't have it, God. I can't want you. I don't want you. But I want to want you. We need God to need God. We, we need God to love God, right? We love because he first loved us. The only way we hunger for God is if he gives us hunger. So if we lack hunger, ask God for hunger, and he will give it in abundance. Surround yourself with hungry people. I have hungry friends that when I can feel myself sliding into complacency, I send them a text. Because I know nine times out of ten, I'm going to get a response that evokes and provokes me to hunger. So surround yourself, not with people who make you feel comfortable, but with people who will push you into greater hunger for God and his kingdom. Hunger is your foundation. 
Blessed are the hungry. Secondly, focus. Schedule yourself. Mike Bickle at the International House of Prayer schedules his day in 15-minute increments. I'm not there yet. I don't need to be. I'm not that big of a deal. Um, but you, you've got to schedule your life or time disappears and you haven't done anything with it. Time is the only resource of which you cannot get any more. You can get more money. You get time you cannot get more of. So use it well. Be focused. Schedule yourself with the first things first and then schedule all else around it. I think it was Luther again who said, I have a very busy day today, more to do than ever before. Best pray two hours rather than one. Schedule your life intentionally and then stick to it. This is where your leaders are going to get called to another level because they are going to hound you about making sure that you are following through on the things, the priorities that you set. And so you guys have to go and set your priorities and set your schedule around those priorities by the time your first group meets because they're going to be asking you about it. Because we're really not here just... We, we all, I, I want everyone to have great relationships here. Don't get me wrong. But the goal of what we're doing here is seeking after more of God and more of his kingdom. That's our primary calling. And so if our relationships are not doing that and they're not provoking us to greater hunger then our relationships need to change. And so your leaders will be calling you out on these things and provoking you to greater hunger. And they're going to be sharing with you their experiences as they've sought after God in their, in their own time and with, with the, the, their people. And that's what your small groups will probably be a lot about. So we got hunger. We have focus. Focus is what sustains hunger over the years and keeps you on track. And thirdly, is continue to develop yourself. Be teachable. Be a student for your whole life. Never stop growing as a person in every area that you have opportunity to improve your skills. You will be doing, five, you will be doing things five years from now that you had never considered, conceived of yourself possibly doing. And somewhere in the next window of five years, God wants to train you and equip you with the skills to be ready for that when the time comes. So apply yourself to something. He will use it. If he's got you somewhere, apply yourself completely to it. Learn everything you can while you're there. And in the next season, you'll look back and go, oh my goodness, I had no clue that that's why I was learning the things that I was learning. And now it all makes sense. And this happens over and over and over. But it won't if you will not apply yourself wholeheartedly where he has you planted now. So these are the three things. Hunger, focus, development, growth as an individual. Continue to allow God to bring you into the transformation of his likeness and image. And this is all happening while we as a church are corporately saying, God, we're going to press in for more. So I'm going to pray and what I'm going to ask you while I pray is, if you're hungry, ask God for his face, for his presence, for his kingdom. If you're not hungry, that's okay. Ask God for hunger so that you can ask him voluntarily for his face, his presence, his kingdom. Father, Father, thank you for firebrands that keep the rest of us burning when the coals start to grow dim. Thank you for the bellows that blow wind on those coals and bring back flame. So God, thank you for all that you've done in this church in bringing uh, people of health and strength and love into our midst. And God, now I ask you that for each of us, we would feel a personal tie that our cry amongst the group matters in drawing you near to us. Father, that you want to hear our voice amidst the choir that's crying out, more God of you and your kingdom. Father, we love what you're doing here, but it's nowhere near where you want to take us. 
Your work with us as a church is not near through. There's so much more beauty and health and healing and deliverance and wholeness, salvation that you want to bring to people, not to mention your earth, the creation. So, Father, provoke us to hunger. Give us the gift of hunger in another measure. Father, burn our hearts with a new focus that we will get up daily, even when we don't feel like it, and seek after you. That we will make ourselves cry out when we feel like sleeping in. That when we want to be silent, we will not let ourselves be silent until we are at the point where our heart and flesh cry out for the living God. And then we ask you to come. God, crying out does no good if you don't come. But we know you want to be with your children. We know you want your bride to seek you. And so we expect you to come when we cry. Like Smith Wigglesworth used to say, when when God isn't moving, I, I move God. Because he had the faith, Father, that you would be moved by the cries of men. So cause us to have hunger and have faith that you will meet with us as we diligently seek you. We love you. We love you, Father. Amen.